0: come all, step right up come on step closer put on your headphones listen to the history of alchemy podcast tonight for free tonight only unless you download the episode the incredible 19th century occult revival alchemy is resurrected from the dead an ancient lost wisdom known only by the chosen adepts was gone forever but it's back at least its spirit is Step inside, and let me tell you how it happened. Now we've already said elsewhere on the show that alchemy was dying by the 1700s, and chemistry was born in the 1700s. But that didn't really happen on accident. I think we've also already said that it was a conscious public relations campaign by chemists in the 18th century. They are the ones that started to spell alchemy one way and chemistry the other way. Before that, chemists, with a Y, were alchemists. Period. Alchemists started to really have a bad reputation in the public mind. By the 1700s, alchemy could no longer really be practiced with respect out in the open. You see, the Philosopher's Stone cannot be made by alchemical means, according to the recipes of the old sages. What can be made is really convincing false gold, often not even that convincing. And for centuries, many have suspected this, but never really been able to prove it. Whereas alchemists have proven, quote, in front of hundreds of witnesses and dozens of times, have created both silver and gold. Except they didn't, because it wasn't possible with their methods. There are no mysteries lost over time. Ask any serious historian of alchemy. I mean, plenty was lost, but not necessarily any valuable scientific knowledge. But after centuries, people started to find proof. Conservation of mass, conservation of energy, and finally the modern atomic theory. The people finding proof that alchemy was impossible were scientists. The first scientists, really. They were chemists. They needed something to call their field of study. And in their field of study, they might need to do things like heat substances for very specific times and temperatures over a long period of time. In fact, by studying the nature of matter, they were solving some of the very questions that alchemists we've talked about on this show had set out to answer. And they were using alchemy equipment to do it, and in fact they were manipulating and changing matter, but for different reasons. In fact, they didn't even say matter, they said chemicals, meaning related to alchemy but quote-unquote alchemy had a really bad name. So they consciously and with much effort called themselves chemists, while exaggerating the differences between those charlatan alchemists and us scientists. But that was wrong. Listeners of this show know that many alchemists had other questions they were trying to answer than just how to make gold. And even when just trying to make gold, they created all sorts of other great things. But these guys in the 1700s were not after knowing how to make the Philosopher's Stone. They wanted to know everything about the world and beyond ever, at at least the physical world. And so with the scientific revolution, alchemy got an even worse reputation than it really deserved. And in the Enlightenment, it was seen as a very expensive and shameful mistake, like a fraud or just, you know, a superstitious sort of waste of time. And that's just in time for the Victorians to find alchemy and kind of rediscover it and dust it off. Right at the beginning of the century, of the 19th century, we have Mesmerism. And people discovered kind of hypnotism just in in 1802, named after an Austrian physician, Mesmer, obviously. And it's also where the term like animal magnetism comes from, but it's basically the power of one person over the other to kind of hypnotize another and hypnotized people reported all sorts of strange things in their trance, including talking to ghosts or spirits. And now how can that be? There were actually all sorts of strange unanswered questions if one thought about it. People began to feel that logic was too one-sided. It did not jive with things like dreams and apparent visions and, um, you know, like ghosts and stuff. They thought that scientists weren't looking at the night side of nature. And psychical research became a thing in the 19th century, to actually go off and try to find evidence of ghosts and spirits. And by the end of the 19th century, we have Aleister Crowley in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, or um, kind of from that, you know, end of the spectrum, towards the end of the 19th century. But people started to see a sort of two nervous systems, not just your nervous system, but also the ganglion system, which is your nervous system that kind of takes over during sleep or also these other states of consciousness like hypnosis. And this ganglion system, if it was just properly nurtured or if one were perhaps not naturally gifted, then, you know, that's where all these ideas of if you could develop that, you could develop, you know, it's evidence and dream, but you could ev- even develop occult abilities, psychic abilities, precognition, clairvoyance. Um, you could, it was thought that you could actually learn how, you know, in these trances, how to speak unknown languages. They're, they just saw two levels of reality, the one that can be measured and the one behind it that cannot. But all of these powers are latent to humanity if we just know how to wake them up. And these Romantic ideas of the unknown, the invisible, just blew up in the 19th century. And there's a whole generation or two of Romantic mesmerists. And obviously, the unknown must come down through history from the ancient past. And now, in the 19th century, is also the time of the first big archaeological discoveries. And we start to get theories of Atlantis, even mummies, curses, and voodoo zombies. All of these things were again made to seem ancient, sometimes more than they were. Horoscopes is a good example of, you know, something that changed a lot in the 19th century. But the way horoscopes are done today is mainly from that time. Not so much before. Astrology existed, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it on the show. It's thousands and thousands of years old, but not horoscopes being read at in that sort of way or tarot the way it's done today only existed since the occult revival really in its original form in the 14th century it was more along the long of playing cards it had, it had less cards in a deck and even the modern conception that there is some sort of connection between alchemy and, and tarot that's also a 19th century invention because the tarot is only really that old And the tarot, in its earliest form, back in the 14th, 15th century, might actually come from Egypt. And then we know that it spread really quickly in in Italy in the 15th or 16th century. And alchemy also comes from Egypt. But tarot comes from the 15th century, which was already Muslim Egypt. They didn't even speak Coptic really anymore. And alchemy came from Egypt, but not Pharaohic Egypt with the pyramids. Um, Alchemy started in Alexandria... And al- alchemy actually began closer to the present day than it did to the pyramids. Alchemy is only 1,800 years old. The pyramids are over 4,000 something years old. It's just way off. It's a totally different timescale. Hermes Trismegistus is not as old as Moses, and the Emerald Tablet is not as old as, as well. It's not even from BC. It's at least, you know from maybe from the first century AD, but uh, not as old as as uh, the Old Testament, for instance. And all of these came back in the 19th century, but also seances, because people wanted to communicate with these ghosts that now were seen in hypnosis. And so we have things like crystal-gazing. And not in the form of Edward Kelly trying to translate angels, but yet very similar, where they're talking to spirits around them. We do see some of these ideas by alchemists. But the 19th century brought on the big illusionists and the great magic shows. And people were really taken in by these illusions and all of these tricks and and magic of the 19th century. And many believed certain aspects to be real. It's the time of the Sarah Winchester building her house with 160 rooms and holding seances thinking that the ghosts will haunt her if she stops building. It's the time of Arthur Conan Doyle attending seances. And that whole line of spiritualism. So the Victorians in the 19th century, they also rediscovered alchemy. They saw alchemy, but not as it was. They saw it from the chemists from 50 years ago, who were telling them what it was. All magic and no science. And the Victorians just loved that. And a lot was written about alchemy at the time. But not so much in the scientific literature, and also not by historians just by spiritualists and occultists. And again, alchemy became that cliché in the public's mind. And we still have that today. You know, that's not all. And as alchemy was born in a time of Gnostics and Neoplatonists, psychology and psychiatry were born in a time of traditionalism and spiritualism. And another person that was influenced by ideas of mesmerism and hypnosis was Carl Gustav Jung. That asshole. Jung was Freud's Swiss protégé. He was into the whole psychoanalysis, free flow speaking, and dream analysis. He went back to the whole mesmeric nighttime of nature idea. He talked about the two ways of thinking. Not like Freud's ego and id, but like a child who's dreaming on one end, to a logical adult who's awake on the other end. The natural process is sort of from archaic to logical thinking. Dreams are, therefore, a better insight into our ancient past. And as interpretation of dreams was done for the psyche, for the health of the psyche, then the interpretation of myth and legend can be done for the healing of society. So mythological archetypes can also go through psychoanalysis. Jung insisted on the occult being important to psychology. He wanted psychology to be the basis of all science, a new scientific theory, I guess but basically a paradigm shift of also investigating the unknown. He was also mad at the Enlightenment folks for ignoring certain things, as, you know, just writing them off as superstition, like mesmerism. And I do agree with Jung there. I like to have a historically accurate picture. I don't care if it leans toward the occult on one with one alchemist or towards science on the other. I'm trying to investigate the picture. I'm trying to see what happened. Uh, I really don't care which way it happened. The idea that alchemy is purely spiritual, that alchemy is possible, that making the philosopher stone it is possible, or the elixir of life, is historically ridiculous. Elixir of life evolved into all sorts of heal-alls, also again sold in the 19th century, people selling snake oil and everything on every corner. That very much also came out of alchemy, very much so. But because of Jung, before the occult revival in the 19th century, taking up alchemy as an occult or spiritual practice, and before that the folks in the Enlightenment age trying too hard to discredit alchemy as for purely fraudulent to further chemistry. Because of all those, the history of alchemy, people are misunderstanding what alchemy actually was. And Jung's ideas have since spread like a disease in the last hundred years. The 19th century occult revival gave birth to many other things, but amongst those things, the, the whole Nazi party ideology and the the tool religion and the Nazi occult ideas and theories, those all came out of the 19th century sort of romanticized occult revival. Uh, now, In terms of not painting everything pro-Nazi, that's ridiculous. Other hermetic orders were forbidden by the Nazis, so I'm not trying to paint one-sided picture. What I am saying is that the occult ideas were born in the occult revival of the 19th century. That's all. And after the war, alchemy was swept up into the counterculture movements of the 60s and 70s. Now it was blended with all sorts of Eastern mystic ideas. Neo-paganists had a very similar path. It is historically accurate to say that many alchemists had a heavily spiritual aspect to them. Alchemy came to be in Alexandria in the fourth century, a time when many other ideas were flourishing. Many of those ideas got mixed up with alchemy for all time in the future. Many occult ideas came back to alchemy in the Renaissance, but alchemy was older. I've always tried to show how alchemy is part of the history of science. Of course, if you study the history of Hermeticism, astrology, Kabbalah, all sorts of magic, alchemy is a part of that too. It was esoteric. And some alchemists believed the knowledge could only come from God and with his will. To take one side away from alchemy is to not understand it. There have been biases in history on both sides. Which is why we here at the History of Alchemy podcast have our cutoff dates. We look at the duration of alchemy, not after, not just one part when alchemy looked a certain way, but the big picture. And we don't talk about anything after the occult revival because trying to see past the bias is just too hard. Alchemy was already dead, it didn't exist anymore, there's nothing to talk about. Luckily, serious study on the history of alchemy has also been done since at least the 1960s. Real historians started taking a look at the old texts again, and over the next few decades it became ever more acceptable to do so. The Enlightenment-era smear campaign worked well into the 20th century. Historians were not taken seriously if they decided to focus on alchemy. But that has all changed slowly since the 1970s and 80s, and now you can really get your hands on some fantastic books and academic journals and papers on the history of alchemy by historians who are aware of the biases in the Renaissance, the Enlightenment Age, and the 19th and 20th centuries. You can even read the primary sources online sometimes, and even more primary sources if you can read German, like yours truly. And we here at the show do try to do our best with being aware of the different biases, but we do try to get our historical facts straight. Just remember, folks, this is a history podcast. We can't tell you how to make gold, but we can tell you exactly why it wasn't possible. And all about the people who tried, and all the other things that came out of that and went into that. If you do enjoy this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That really helps us out a lot with the rankings. And don't forget to check out the newest project, The Secret Cabinet, that's secret-cabinet.com. And don't forget to stop by on The Secret Cabinet Facebook page and say hello. Thanks, bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse?